Hey, welcome to the Gentle Rebel podcast, where we talk about navigating life's harsh edges with a spirit of compassionate creativity. I'm Andy Morton, I'm a songwriter and creativity coach, and I love exploring the power of gentleness in creating conditions for meaningful change from the inside out. I hope you're doing well. In this episode, I want to explore the question of shape. Uh, what are we shaping our lives around, or what is our life shaping itself around right now. Uh, We're going to think of this idea of um, cornerstones, which whether we're aware and intentional about it or not, is the thing from which everything else kind of takes its shape, takes its form. A cornerstone is defined as an important quality or a feature on which a particular thing depends or is based. In its literal sense, the cornerstone or the foundation stone or the setting stone uh, is the first stone set in the construction of a masonry foundation and all other stones will be set in reference to that one, um, thus determining the position of the entire structure. Um, So I really love this image as a way to think about life, think about our lives, think about uh, who we are in relation to our lives, especially when we think about the parts of our lives that we want to let go of or grow. We also use the word cornerstone um, as a metaphor within uh, things like communities and families and organisations. Um, it might be the, the kind of core values maybe to which a business is committed as this guiding principle for everything else. You know, this is this is the cornerstone on which this business is built, this this maybe this vision or uh, this this founding principle. Um, maybe it's an industry or a, a source of employment in, in a particular region, you know, places where a, a factory is the, is the cornerstone of this community or something is the cornerstone of this um, this region, this area, this country, uh, or it might be a, a ritual or a tradition that everyone kind of partakes in on a regular basis. Uh, the The cornerstone is conspicuous by its uh, presence, by its consistency, by the fact that you know people recognise what it is, and they and and the people trust. Um, that they can kind of come back to it. They trust that it's that it's there as this sort of foundational thing. They come back to it as a source of strength, as a source of confidence. And it's the heart from which everything else kind of grows. It's the foundation from which everything else builds. One of the reasons I, I really like this concept as a way to think about how we shape our lives is that it doesn't make the cornerstone the only thing that matters. It doesn't make the cornerstone the, the only thing that you focus on. It simply places everything else in relation to it. It's the, the place around which everything else builds. It provides this solid foundation, this platform, this route to come back to. And in a world where we might feel pulled in every which direction at the same time, it kind of gives us this sim- simplicity, this, this place to take refuge in, to return to um, and to grow from. Confidence is not simply something we feel. It's something we experience through connection to things around us, to the people around us, to the processes we use, to the, uh, to the material world around us. We draw confidence from a cornerstone, knowing we have something to come back to when we need it, a simple measure, a practice, an idea, a behavior, a place. These things are waiting there for us at any time to return to. 
to reground ourselves, to recenter ourselves. And I want to open this topic by playing something that my friend Brandon Bennett shared in a, uh, a Haven Courtyard Cotter uh, workshop that we had uh, last night as I'm recording this. Um, we created an online um, event happening uh, based around this idea of identifying a cornerstone um, for the coming year. Uh, it's mid-November as I speak. Um, the, the, the holiday season is just about to begin. And over the next six weeks, people are going to start sort of turning attention and intention towards, you know, what, what am I going to be thinking about next year? What am I going to want to sort of um, implement, instigate um, and affect change uh, within around my life next year. Um, but this is not something that's sort of, uh, you know, limited or restricted to this time of year. It's something we can do all the time. So no matter when you're listening to this, um, this is is kind of relevant and it's always appropriate. Um, I was keen to do the event um, before the holidays, before sort of Thanksgiving and stuff so that it could um, really gently open up some inner dialogue for people. I, I really like this idea of uh, allowing a conversation to occur within ourselves at different levels of processing um, so that, you know, when we're reflecting back, we're noticing what we notice. We're allowing an expansive energy to infuse how we hold the possibilities for what comes next. You know, all of these things can happen uh, at both conscious and sort of subconscious and unconscious levels and so this conversation goes on at all these different um uh, uh, through through different layers of um of being and consciousness um because i i don't know about you but i think sometimes we can rush our thinking around this sort of stuff we can maybe feel a sense of urgency we can grab at it we can seek a quick uh, a quick process to okay what is it what 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 are my intentions or new year's resolutions for next year um and we, we often just grab at the first thing that's on the shelf, um, you know, the things we feel we should change um, or the thing that those default things that we're constantly coming back to um, every year and, and things, you know, I, I, this feels important, but I don't seem to ever do anything about it. Often, well, sometimes it's because we don't actually care about them because they're maybe they're somebody else's idea of what we should do. Um, or maybe we, we just don't realize that the thing blocking us isn't the thing we think or the, the thing we focus on. Um, actually, there's something else that by addressing it would actually impact the thing we keep looking at. We're looking at a detail. Um, we're focusing on this detail that is actually maybe more of a symptom a symptom of something else. And, and if we look at the, the, the kind of thing that might be the root cause for this symptom, then the cascading impact of that um, is going to, to be bigger and it's going to sort of affect all these other things. Um, and this is really, I, I guess, this chimes with this idea of the cornerstone, um, you know, the experience of the, the long tail of change. When you identify that, that one thing that is going to, have an impact on all of these other areas of life as well. Um, and so, yeah, Brandon talked about this. Um, this is, this is him, uh, kind of unpacking what inspired this idea for the workshop, uh, in the first place. I did an exercise similar to this and I it was inspired by a coach of mine who I was working with a couple of years ago. And he had mentioned for him around the aspect of creating a theme for the year. And my mind went to theme is thinking like, oh, okay, what is it that I'm going to accomplish or what am I going to do? I kind of went into this, um, I went into this aspect of 
I remember at the time achievement, like what can I achieve? And I was surprised to hear what his theme was whenever he shared it, which was his theme was cooking. And I was like, what, what, like, what does that mean? And he described it and he said, well, you know, I'm, I'm so used to eating out and I'm so used to having delivery, like food delivered to my, to my house. And I've, I've never been much of a cook. I've, you know, from when I was in college and, you know, from getting my career started, I've always just relied on other people to, to cook for me or I go out to eat. And he mentioned that he's like, cooking is my theme for that particular year. And how he was describing it was coming from a place of, you know, I'm just going to experiment and I'm going to try different things out and I'm going to put on my calendar, you know, two times a week. I'm going to make meals and it's going to find recipes and I'm going to give it a go. And this is coming from someone at the time who had never really did much cooking themselves. So for me and my experience of that, I was like, wow, that's, that seems to, to simplify things. Cooking is his theme. And the theme was coming from a place of what is the one aspect that I know that if I, you know, I, I've maybe been getting nudged into, or I want to do it, or I want to try it out. And I know that if I focus on this, it'll expand other areas within my life. And for him, around that particular theme, what was coming up was just being able to cook for his beloved, for his wife, being able to, to experience what it's like to, to cook for kids, just different aspects that maybe he wasn't necessarily um, as burst in but had created the story of the excuse well i'm just not a good cook so i just I, that's why i don't do it i find this such a fascinating insight like this this idea of cooking as a cornerstone uh, and i've been reflecting on this we spoke about it ages ago uh, when we were kind of first thinking about ideas for this workshop and and brandon had mentioned this story and i was like yeah like something like cooking can have so many practical offshoots. I was thinking about the idea of, you know, committing to, to cook, even even if it's just like one meal a week that you've never done before. Um, and that's it. Nothing more than that. Um, the possible implications of doing that, the positive feeling that comes from learning something new, the confidence that comes from learning to do something you've told yourself you can't do, or you've sort of created this limiting belief around, um, the energy that comes from being creative just at a basic level uh, time spent with others as, as maybe you're sort of doing this for maybe you're doing this with um, people in your family or, or a, a significant other or a friend or different friends that maybe you're kind of inviting into this venture you're, you're saying yeah different people come around each week and I'm going to try cooking this meal that I've never tried before you're all in on this um, and so it kind of has a, an offshoot impact on uh, sort of social um, relations and that kind of thing. You might learn about different cultures, different uh, origins of ingredients, ways things mix together, um, and that might inspire a trip to try some of your favourite meals firsthand. Maybe in those places of origin, you know, travelling around the world, it might inspire you to um, to notice restaurants in your hometown uh, that you've never even seen before. <laughs> They've been there for ages, but you've never considered them because it's like, well, that sort of food is not really on my radar. Now it is, um, and it might then kind of open up conversations with other people who um, are well versed in either cooking generally or, or a particular sort, sort of cooking or whatever. 
it might open your eyes to new parts of the supermarket. I think we, we often have this sort of tunnel vision when we're in familiar uh, shops and familiar environments where where like supermarkets and you kind of go to the same places each time and you don't notice I, I, th- this year I, was, I became very aware of this um, this idea that actually there's there's all these places in the supermarket that I've never noticed there's all these things for sale that I've never noticed before and yeah I guess a, a cornerstone theme like cooking is going to also have that impact it's going to open your eyes open your awareness open your uh, ability to notice different things that you've maybe sort of just filtered out of your uh, conscious awareness. You know, once a week, or if you were to do it twice a week, it's not much, but that's 52 or 104 meals over the next year. Um, and so it's this idea that actually, you know, something small, something simple adds up to this massive place to the point where, you know, the tree that you plant here now um, is going to be unrecognizably developed this time next year. The skills, the knowledge, the experiences, the relationships, anything else that might grow as a uh, an inadvertent um, offshoot of this particular cornerstone um, is going to be significantly different. It's really interesting to think of something that isn't obviously related to the normal things that we want to change in life. Um, like, for example, if you want to learn another language, and you've been saying this for years, yeah, I really want to learn French or whatever. Um, what if you turn it into something more specific and more indirect? Maybe the cornerstone is um, French cinema or German literature. Um, you know, what if I watch two French films each week? What might be the implications of doing that? How would that impact other areas of life? I'm not saying <laughs> that's the way to do it, but like th- th- it structurally thinking about it in this way, thinking about the cornerstone as something um, maybe that wouldn't normally occur to you um, as as the way to do the thing that you want to do. You know, we tend to atomize and itemize and compartmentalize different parts of life, don't we? But what happens when we realize actually there's not the boundaries between these things, they all infuse each other. And if we place something in the center as this cornerstone, we might begin to experience a surge of growth in many parts of life. The shape of life itself takes form around that core point, that core axis. That's why the cooking example is such a good one. You know, it could impact creativity, relationships, health, confidence, adventure, and so on. It can provide the resources and resourcefulness to tackle other aspects of life that have maybe felt like challenges for a while. That actually reminds me of something else that Brandon said. Certain words I've needed in my own experience to let go of, and a word that I've let go of here over the past couple of years is the word challenge. (laughs) Challenge for me create a sense of like, of, of, in my experience of the word, it would create a sense of being burnt out on the other end of that. I challenged myself to do this for 30 days or 90 days, whereas the word experiment, or what is it that I would like to play with, that feels a lot lighter to my nervous system. And I mentioned that from a place of this being, again, something that is a gentle experience around what is it that I'm seeing or what is it that continues to come up for me? And how can I put myself 
or create the conditions to move towards, you know, the aspect or the aspects that that feel the most resonant, that seem like, you know what, this, this, and as I mentioned before, sometimes these things, these things, the same things bubble up and we see the same things, <laughs> you know, that are coming up. It's it's almost like a taking one step forward towards something. And then there being other aspects that are expanding that may not even be a part of the psyche just from taking the step forward and committing to, you know, what is important enough for someone. What is one aspect that you see can can help you continue to move towards what you have in your start position? Um I love this and I'll kind of talk about what that start position is uh, shortly. Um, but I really like that Brandon here talks about, you know, it's what, what is you, essentially what is useful to him or what is getting in the way for him in terms of uh, those words. Um, something he needed as a little mental shift in his way of thinking about goals. Uh, and I mean, this is something I'm very aware of in my own, you know, planning for change and stuff that the tendency to commit to the pursuit of a, a sequence or a chain or a streak, you know, that, that idea of the, the problem with challenge for, for Brandon is it creates this, um, this kind of sense, I guess, in his nervous system of like, um, I guess it's maybe a, a slight stress response or whatever. It's this, this thing that we uh, connect to that isn't necessarily giving us that energy of expansion and um, excitement towards the things that could possibly change, but it's creating a sense of maybe urgency and pressure instead. Um, and I know, you know, with a sequence, a chain, a streak, I know that not breaking the chain can easily become the focus that can become the thing um, that um, that matters more than what the, the chain or the streak or the sequence is enabling or is allowing or is making space for, is creating the possibility for. Um, and this is always obvious when that chain does break and the focus is lost. Um, this is something we see all the time, isn't it? With with New Year's resolutions, we commit to this. I'm going to do this every day. I'm going to uh, do this for however long each morning, or whatever it is. Um, and as soon as that 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 kind of sequence, that streak is broken, there's nothing really kind of rooting it into anything deeper. Um, we sort of uh, uh, we we lose the attachment to why it matters, and so the attachment is less to the behaviour and more to the reward of keeping the streak going. Um, and uh, I think this is really yeah similar to what Brandon says about this word challenge. It becomes this this heavy weight. It becomes this pressure. And experimenting and playing feels more expansive. It feels more uh, or less pressurised. Um, but it's not about the words themselves, is it? It's easy, again, to, to kind of get drawn down this idea of, well, I just need to change what I say. Um, it's about actually how we hold what the words represent, what the words are, are sort of um, alluding to or signalling um, as, as words themselves, um, or how the words get in the way of us moving forwards with the freedom that we need. Reminds me of, you know, organisations that, that embargo the use of certain words or phrases as if it's the words themselves that make the difference. You know, oh, don't don't say no problem. Um, don't say, yeah, whatever, whatever it is that like the, the organisation sort of bans as a phrase, because once the novelty wears off and we figure out, you know, what, what they actually mean um, by the new phrase that they're that they're then using, 
we're just we're searching for another word to try and trick ourselves or our customers because it's like no that just has changed its meaning it, it, it the the word has changed its meaning to um t- to cover this this thing but if we address what we might find lurking beneath the words we can begin to untangle things um that might be sort of causing blockages or stress or whatever like balancing and sequencing you know what shape does life take when we build um, around the idea of balance, these are words that uh, can, I think, you know, cause cause obstacles for us. We might think of balance as being able to to kind of keep all the balls in the air, keep everything going, like just enough of each responsibility so that we don't drop things uh, and all of that kind of stuff. But without a cornerstone or without a, a kind of central axis point, the pressure to balance everything leaves us shapeless and overwhelmed, and everything will kind of fall eventually. Um, without a pivot point or a fulcrum, there is no counterbalance or midpoint holding um, holding everything in uh, in balance. And in this sense, I don't think of I don't think balance is a particularly helpful thing to to imagine that we're striving for. Uh, if by balance we're on a quest for a feeling that everything is kind of held equally and evenly, uh, because it can't be. You know, life by nature is unbalanced in many ways and, and requires us to, to be kind of leaning off and oscillating uh, in different ways as well. So there's all, we're always going to be sort of balanced unevenly, uh, if that's a thing. Likewise, the idea of sequencing can make for this sort of never enough approach to things. At least it does for me, this sense that you... Um, can get to the destination if you figure out your priorities you just you've got to do this and then that and then everything in the right order um well there are obviously there are necessary and appropriate times for both uh you know sequencing and balancing within projects and process processes and situations uh obviously uh there are many moments where holding things in balance actually yes it's a it's a helpful image it's a helpful thing to to kind of uh, consider within a certain situation but they're not all that helpful when it comes to thinking about living with a sense of shape and a sense of purpose in general. You know, balance leaves us static. It leaves us unable to move for fear of uh, of dropping things, for fear of tipping over. And sequencing leaves us forever in motion, just constantly striving towards the next thing. Um, so how does the, the, the cornerstone differ from these images? It allows everything to find its place without forcing it by committing to uh, a central point, a central focus, a cornerstone. We take the pressure off ourselves to to get everything done, whether that is to hold everything, to do everything all at once or to get the sequence right, to, you know, prioritize everything. Um, and that's essentially what ends up happening is we uh, try to prioritize absolutely everything. And in so doing, by nature, by the, the, the definition of prioritizing, um, we, we prioritize nothing. You've likely heard the old proverb that says uh, the best time to plant a tree was 20, 25 years ago. Second best time to plant one is right now. This uh, resonates also with the idea that you know people overestimate what can be done in one day and underestimate what can be done in a month or you know, substitute day for year, month for 10 years, uh, whatever. It's this sort of dis- this 
distinction between uh, underestimating what can be done over a long period of time, overestimating what might change in a shorter period of time. Uh, We might lose heart when we uh, uh, don't see quick results. We might be tempted to give up. Um, creates disappointment and frustration when we're unable to do everything we added to our to-do list for today or when we look at the list of things we want to do next year. Everything seems important. Maybe we try to do them all in balance, you know, a little bit of each one and eventually the wheels come off because it's impossible to maintain momentum in so many different directions all at the same time. Or we try and do one thing at a time and then we (laughs) fail to complete each one because it's like, you know, as things get more difficult or like we get bored with it, it's like, uh, I'll, try, I'll do something else now. Or we fail to get past the first couple if we sort of focus on seeing everything through to completion. Um, or maybe we go the other way and, and fail to start because the thing that we want to, to start or change just seems so big and complicated and overwhelming to, to kind of figure out, okay, well, how do I even begin to approach this? So we wait for a a better moment to change, a better moment to instigate that change, a quieter season, a bit more space, you know, some time alone, the opportunity to focus. But these moments never seem to arrive, or at least we never seem to notice when they do arrive. There's always something else that gets in the way. We put off planting the tree because its growth seems so gradual and so far off. It feels impossible to appreciate its value. We recognise what Julia Cameron means when she quotes what many of us might say, you know, do you know how old I will be by the time I actually learn to really play the piano or to act or to paint or to write a decent play? Yes, she says, the same age you will if you don't. Um, But each tree we plant gives life in so many ways. And the tree of playing the piano of acting, of painting, of writing, of cooking, of French cinema, of reading, of meeting people, and so on. The tree isn't just beneficial in terms of what we get when we get to the end of that thing in 20 years' time. That's, that's not, it's, it's feeding back into the soil immediately. It's altering the landscape around our lives. It's blossoming, it's bearing fruit, it's enriching the soil. Sometimes I think it can help to remove ourselves from things that we might otherwise get too close to, to to kind of maintain any sense of um, real perspective on. And also to see an entity outside of us as the thing that we're committing to investing ourselves into. Uh, We can do this with our life, to see our life as this thing that we are contributing to, that we are creating, that we are giving ourselves to, um, to view our life as something we are actively shaping rather than something we are. When you think of a creative practice, not as a, an expression of, of, of you or of who you are, this, it's, not, it's not exactly you, but as something that you are actively creating, you're ac- actively contributing to, investing in, uh, you want to make this work. If you do that, you, it can be easier to separate yourself from the outcomes that you find along the way. Of course, you're expressing yourself through it, but the practice and the product uh, as it appears in the world, is something outside of yourself. It's a, a, a marker in the sand. It's a, it's a thing that isn't you. It's just something that you were part of creating. And when we recognise this external entity, the creative practice, um, we can figure out what we want to do to make that grow, or if we choose not to make that grow, whatever, how much of ourselves we're willing to invest in it, the role we see it 
um, playing as as part of the life that we're creating more broadly. And it's the same with with pretty much everything, like with relationships, with families, with um, organisations, communities that we're part of. In fact, the idea of recognising the external non-personal entity can actually be a really useful way to help um, anything that matters to us to uh, to succeed or to reflect um, the, the values that we hold for it. Um, you know, there are three parts of any relationship. There is me, there is you, and there is the relationship itself. What is the relationship? What do we mean by this relationship? What's its purpose? What's its values? What does it require from each of us? What do we get from it? Do we have the same expectations? It's the same with a family. You know, a family is one more than the sum of its individuals. It's everyone in the family and it's the family itself. So what does the family stand for? What is the cornerstone of this entity? And is this entity a cornerstone of something else? So it's this plus one entity that helps us find solid ground when we're fed up with the other person or the other people and they're despairing about us. You know, it takes away the personalization of it, gives us a sense of purpose, a a set of values, a shared vision and the reassurance that even if we do mess up as individual parts, we are also parts of something bigger than ourselves. We can we have something to to hold um, to hold as the point of accountability, not just to one another, but to this idea of the relationship, to this idea of the family, to this thing that is separate from us, but also part of what we're contributing to. And if there comes a time to confront the breakdown of that entity, a breakdown of uh, a relationship, of a family, of a business or a community or whatever, the entity itself becomes this this cornerstone um, for that investigation. I think we can apply the same kind of logic in some way to life itself. While it's more of a, I guess, mental contract with ourselves, um, we can still see it as an entity that we are viewing and contributing to and envisioning and building and investing in. When things don't go to plan, a particular endeavour that we did with our life might have gone wrong. But that doesn't mean that we, as a human, as as a self, as a person, as a conscious being, are a failure. It removes that sense of, um, you know, uh, conditional belonging from the equation. If my life is a mess, I can step back and figure out how to clean it up. You know, what's what's going on with with my life right now? What do I need to sort of reimagine, re like get back into place or, or sort of do going forwards or whatever? I can gather the resources and the support to get my life back on track we use phrases like that, don't we? Like, I think they're kind of helpful because they create a distance, that depersonalization, and a sense that there's always an opportunity to, to keep working on things, to, to keep developing and creating. To work on our life is to see ourselves as separate from this thing that we get to build through our time as a conscious being on this earth. We get to have a go with what we have in the circumstances we're in to build a life that reflects the kind of world we want to exist in our life isn't who we are it's something we are building it doesn't always come together as we hope sometimes external forces shake its foundations and sometimes things happen that give it extra sparkle but if we can view our life and hold it in this way we can make uh, or more effectively determine which cornerstones to get in there so that it takes the shape that we want to 
um, see reflected. And this is part of what drove me as I built the Return to Serenity Island program. Um, And that's about imagining life as an island, the place we get to hang out and nurture and grow and dig for treasure. And it's not about seeing ourselves as an island. Um, And I'm not sure I'd really consciously distinguish between these things properly. Um, But I I knew there was a difference between uh, the John Donne sense in his poem, uh, No Man is an Island, entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, as well as any manner of thy friends or of thine own were, any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. So yeah, humanity is a communion of interdependence. None of us can exist alone. None of us is an island by ourselves. And this is not the message of Serenity Island. You know, Serenity Island helps us find our cornerstone. It may well even be a cornerstone. By viewing the different areas of life as parts of this island, we get to imagine the way they affect one another. We get to play on the landscape of our life, to experiment, to explore, to play, to dream. The idea of seeing life in this way is about recognising ourselves as playing a part in it. We are not fully in control of it, but we can have an impact on it, on the shape it takes, the things we grow with it, and our favourite places to spend time around it. The cornerstone anchors us to short-term actions and behaviours, but it's also like a root. Its growth is difficult to see. It's not flashy or grand, but it enables everything else to grow out from it. And over time, the capacity for growth grows itself. So often it's by focusing on less that we make deeper, broader and more meaningful progress over time but it often feels less like it in the short term. We busy ourselves with details because they, they just seem more productive. They look like they're more effective, but this can actually be counterproductive in the long run because we spread ourselves in many different directions. It's uncomfortable to let go of things that feel important. It's not easy either. We feel the pressure to prioritise everything. But when you prioritise more than one thing, you prioritise nothing. By definition, there can only be one prior thing, one first thing, one trunk to the tree from which all the other branches come. Part of the exercise that Brandon took us through was recognising you know, what we're letting go. And I'll go through the, the four question prompts that he, uh, that he shared with us in a moment so that you can kind of hopefully finish this episode with something to take uh, with you internally um, in the coming days and weeks, something to reflect on and really think about when it comes to uh, yeah, identifying the cornerstone that you want to commit to in your life. You know, this is start, the start of a conversation. You don't need to identify uh, anything specific right now. Don't force it. Don't try to find it. Just allow the conversation to open within you. Let it speak and then notice what you notice about the way these ideas might be talking to you, both internally and in the world around you. What is it that you're noticing? Growth happens both incrementally and all at once. Change occurs rapidly and gradually when we show up in the same place over and over. Life takes its shape around these commitments. Deep learning and lasting change are symptoms. Symptoms of rhythm, simplicity, repetition, focus, intention, 
support and rest. They occur when we identify what matters most. Other things naturally fall into place around that. This makes me think of stories that get told by families and workplaces, friends, communities, uh, venues, theatres, sports arenas, bars and so on. You know, meaningful and memorable events, stories that turn into legends. These aren't usually the result of effort. They're not usually uh, contrived. They're not usually created on purpose. They are often the product of a spontaneous happening, a magical evening, a funny series of events or an experience that came from nowhere. Something that just happened one day. These stories might get told or heard as if they're normal for a particular place or a particular person. But they're told precisely because they're not normal. They are outliers. They are exceptions. But if you've not been part of this family or part of this community or part of this workplace, you hear these stories and you you assume that's just, that's normal, don't you? That's always the, I guess, the, uh, the outsider position that, I mean... I don't know about you, but I always feel that when you hear these things that people talk about, you're like, oh, that must be normal. But they occur because there is a normality that gets stretched from time to time. You know, there's this sort of just low lying plateau of normality. And then every so often, because we're showing up, because things are just the the cogs are whirring, people are coming and playing that sport every week, people are are coming and gracing that theatre every night, every so often something extraordinary is going to happen because that normality is occurring. Our life is built around the cornerstone of normality. The weekly meal, for example, is simply that, a new meal that you've not cooked before. Sometimes it's going to be massively underwhelming. It might taste okay. It might taste awful. It might be that the energy socially is a bit flat. But occasionally, something memorable, something magical will happen. Maybe it's so catastrophically bad that it became this hilarious story, this experience where it was like, we can't eat that. Honestly, we've got to, we're going to have to go out. And then the night turns into... Uh, yeah, one series of uh, or a series of events that just lead you from one place to the next, or it might be uh, the night that somebody opened up about maybe sharing a story or something about themselves that you'd never heard before, and it became this really emotionally significant evening. The point is, without the rhythm of normality, there's less potential for life to come bursting through the door in these unexpected but profoundly life-affirming ways. And so it can be that by placing limits on things, committing to a narrower path, letting go of the many possibilities that want our attention, we actually create room for an expansive and an unexpected adventure to occur. Not all the time, not when we're demanding it, not when we're expecting it, but occasionally, if we're open to that as a possibility. Oh, how often life's most memorable moments are the ones you don't plan for. As I said earlier, it really doesn't matter when you're listening to this. Every passing moment is an opportunity to pause, to breathe and recommit to our role in creating our life. 
uh, the part that we play in creating our life. And Brandon, as I said, adapted um, an exercise he'd received from another coach. Um, and I'm going to share the questions that he um, that he helped us navigate in the Haven Courtyard session. Uh, he gave five minutes for us to write down responses to each one, um, uh, which was a really, really helpful thing. Something worth doing alongside others, I think, as well, because often the temptation, especially if you're sort of self-directed with this kind of thing, um, the temptation might be to just rush through reflective prompts like this or to believe, yeah, no, I've I've done, I've finished that now. Um, but without anyone else kind of holding space and timing, um, creating space for deep reflection isn't always easy. The question, uh, what else, came to mind several times for me, uh, you know, as I sort of thought I'd finished within the five minutes. And then it's like, OK, well, just ask what else? Keep asking what else? Um, and other things came just it's sort of little moments where the tap opened and more things came flowing out. So the first question was, what are your creations for the past 12 months? I found this a really uh, yeah, fascinatingly worded question. And, you know, I found it really helpful to be uh, worded like that, much more helpful than things like what were your accomplishments or your, or your achievements over the past 12 months. Um, but I'd say, yeah, as you're listening to that, I'd encourage you to think about it in your own words. You know, once you uh, get to what it's asking, basically it's a list of everything that has happened this year things you've done stuff you've made happen stuff that you've responded to uh, stuff that you've been part of stuff that's happened to you places you've been progress you've made things that you've given time and energy and attention to they don't need to be tangible outcomes or they don't need to be completed what's your time and energy gone into bringing into life this year what has your attention been taken by what are you proud of what's changed what's grown who have you got to know better? What's that led to? What have you read? What's changed in your thinking over the past 12 months? How is your worldview different? I think it's a, a really interesting question to dive into. It's really like once the shackles came off for me, I was amazed at actually how much has, uh, has happened this year. How much has shifted for me, the amount of stuff I've done, the places I've been to, the things I've created and so on. Um, so, yeah, I'd encourage you to just think about that as a starting point. And the second question was, what are you letting go of this year? So what have you let go of? What are you looking to let go of, hoping to let go of, trying to let go of? How has letting go been part of those creations for the past 12 months? Maybe there are things you've done or been part of that shows that you've let go of something, a mindset, an attitude or a fear. Maybe you can recognise now, you might not have thought about it at all until now, there was an experience that actually showed you, yeah, I've let go of that, that thing that I had been holding on to. That shows that I've, I've grown in that sense. I've, let, I've managed to, to um, jettison that belief or that, that fear, that f- approach that I've had. Maybe it's an idea, maybe it's a person, a hope, a struggle, a belief, an expectation, an old pattern of behaviour. Again, this can be good to look at from different angles, different perspectives. Physical things you've let go of, emotional things, things tethered to uh, other people or expectations you have of the behaviour of other people. Ways of seeing the world. And then the third question 
what would you like to continue? I really like this question because it focuses us on what's already going well. It's tempting to view the things in life, isn't it? The the things we want to stop and the things that we want to start. Um, But there are tracks already in place that are good, things that we um, that we wouldn't change, things that we want to keep going. And what are they? Those particular commitments, relationships, habits, practices, approaches, routines, aspects of routines, processes. And then the fourth question, what would you like to start? Again, the five minutes Brandon gave us for this was really helpful as a, as a shackles off creative explosion. It's important to do this without judgment or editing just to allow anything that kind of bubbles up to just flow out onto the paper. There was a bunch of stuff for me, many of which I could uh, already see links between as they were coming out. And in the exercise with Brandon, I wrote down uh, 12 things. Surprisingly, the more I wrote, the less stress I, stressed I felt about the, uh, the kind of quantity of them, the idea of them all being important and necessary. And actually the act of writing them was, was kind of a, a good feeling. It was a freeing thing. Um, I think there's uh, one level, there's something about allowing thoughts to breathe in the external world rather than just being sort of cooped up in our minds uh, or in our bodies. It's really, really good. Um, And so then once we had these four lists, Brandon encouraged us to to draw two intersecting circles. So there's like three sections to these uh, these circles, Um, the circle on the left, circle on the right, and then the, the space where those two circles joined together um and yeah so the, the one on the left on uh, the empty space on the left um had old me as the title the intersecting space had to continue and then the circle empty space on the right was to start um and then we added the top three um that we identified okay these are the the three the three most important ones that i'd pick right now just to intuitively uh, added the top three from each list um, what what I've let go what I'd like to continue and what I'd like to start and from my personal perspective I found this a really nice way to focus in on some um, some simple intentions you know the the momentum from those things I want to continue I think that was a that's a really important um, aspect of this it's kind of this reinforcement of com- commitment to these things that are already going going quite nicely going well and you know it might be that yeah I want to continue that and I want to like reinforce that I want to sort of change it slightly but actually fundamentally there's this thing that I'm really glad I've got in place in my life and then there's the excitement of what I want to start the sense of uh, cornerstone recognition to those three things as well you know the the first one that I wrote down the top one is the cornerstone and these uh, other two are like supporting bricks for it I know that when that cornerstone is is sort of established and and set in place, this is going to be this cascading impact into those other two things as well. Um, I'm not finished with the exercise personally. Um, I'm going to uh, keep diving into it like once or twice a week, I think, for the next month or so. Um, And I'm going to do this in my journal, like reflecting on those prompts from different um, emotional states and moods and days of the week. I think it's it's quite helpful just to. yeah, to sort of do that at different times in the day as well. Like what, what what's coming up for me in, in these different, um, from these different foundations. Uh, and I'm going to talk with other people about them as well. 
uh, get the benefit of a sounding board to see reflected back at me. You know, what, what is it that I might be thinking and feeling about this stuff? What is important? What are the things that I want to uh, to get in place um, going forwards? And so, yeah, I mean, if, if this sounds, if this ha- like is, is a useful sounding thing to you, I'd love to encourage you to use these prompts as a way to uh, consider this stuff for yourself. Like we'll figure out what is, what might a cornerstone be um, for change for me over the coming months. Um, if it doesn't sound useful, then feel free not to use it. I, I mean, all of these things, these sorts of tools and exercises, they're going to appeal to some people. They're not going to appeal to other people. Um, and as with everything, I'd, I'd say just use what is useful and let go of what is not. That's that's you're entirely free to do that. And I really encourage you to do that. And I'd also say if you find it hard to do this alone, um, I want to encourage you to talk to me if you if you want a focused conversation about this. You know, we can go through the prompts together if that sounds useful to you um, or uh, definitely get in touch with Brandon as well. And I'm sure he'd be happy to explore this with you as well. Um, I'll link to his website in the show notes, but he's yeah, brandonbennett.com. Um, and yeah, like if, if this feels like something that you'd like to to take further, then yeah, get in touch with me. Um, you can email me, andy at andymort.com or uh, get in touch via the website um and yeah i'd love to to hear from you i'd love to hear any uh, yeah anything that's resonated with you generally in this episode uh, it'd be great to hear from you you can uh, yeah get in touch via email or through social media um any of any of the socials there uh or yeah through my website andymort.com i think that is all i have for you today Um, It's been lovely to talk to you. I hope to catch you again soon. And until we next meet, remember, firm back, soft front. Be gentle with yourself. And even when it appears not to be, remember that gentleness is always an option. Take care. Bye-bye.